Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. Well, we have Daniel Fusco with us this morning. The book is You're Gonna Make It, Unlocking Resilience When Life is a Mess. And uh, first of all, I, I want to get this uh, off the table do you have dreads? Oh, I totally do. I have a, a uh-huh. huge head of locks. Look at this. Daniel's got some serious dreadlocks. You want to laugh. People always are like, hey, so what's up with the dreads? And I always tell people that everyone has a hairstyle that they think is appropriate for their funky face. And the best one that I could come up with for mine were dreadlocks. So it's great. Yeah. You know? I, I think they're cool. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered about the, the feeding and care of dreadlocks. <laughs> Because I've heard oh, things yeah. like you can't take a shower. Is that true? No. Oh, that is not true. I mean, my wife would leave me and she loves Jesus and me, but she would leave me if I didn't take a shower. So, <laughs> so no, I, people always say, like, how do you how do you clean them? And I'm like, with shampoo, like it's pretty much for dreadlocks. It's, you can use shampoo, no conditioner and obviously no combs. Oh, right. Or brushes. Yeah. 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 OK. All right. Well, that, that makes us all yeah. feel a little bit better. You know? Not only that, I I listened into your podcast and learned that you like to take a cool dip outdoors every now and again. Oh yeah, I, I do. I do something called uh, you know, it's called uh, thermal cycling. So I, I go into, I regularly go into an ice bath. What? Why? Oh my goodness! Why? Well, okay, so I, I know it's crazy, but like even like in the book, you're gonna make it. I talk about how we have to train before the race, and one of the struggles I think we all have with being resilient is that you know we're. Our lives are comfortable, even in tough situations. It's like we have, you know, climate controlled houses. We get to adjust the radio and the temperature in our cars. And so, what uh-huh. I, one of the things that I've learned is that um, I'm just out. I'm out of practice with making myself uncomfortable and learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So I actually huh. use the ice bath as a way to force myself just to be like, hey, like this is uncomfortable but I still breathe and I'm fine. And what I've found is that by doing something like that, it actually helps me feel a little bit more comfortable in the myriad of uncomfortable situations I can find myself in as a author, a pastor, a dad, you know, a husband, uh, a neighbor and all the different things. I just think it's funny that I listened to this podcast with all these truths and great things that you said, but the one thing I remember is that you take a nice bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I would remember that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. Exactly. That's crazy. Uh, well, well, you know, let's get to your book. I mean, uh, we all go through some tough stuff and um, a lot of us may be tougher than others. And, you know, I've heard it said, if you haven't gone through it yet, you're about to, you know, <laughs> you never know when it's going to hit you. And uh, so I'm just curious, you know, we talk about resilience. I assume you've been through some really tough situations yourself. Talk about that. What, what, what is your story come from? Yeah. So for me, when, when I think of one of the most uh, horrific situations I've been in, when I, before I came to know Jesus, uh, when I was in college, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so I'm an old Italian kid from New Jersey. So everyone's preconceived ideas about big, loud Italian families like that is my family, you know, and, and, and my mom was very much the, the matriarch. You know, I always like to say if moms are glue in family, which I believe they are, my mom was almost like a, defar- a department of defense, you know, super classified glue that they use in only the most sticky situations. And so uh, when my mom got sick and then two years later, she lost her battle to cancer. I was uh, in my early 20s. Um, I just did not know how to handle 
the suffering, the hardship, obviously watching, my mother went through it, but my whole family went through it. We watched our mom suffer in just horrendous ways. Uh, and I just did not have any tools on how to handle uh, a life that was not uh, easy, a life that was uh, inconvenient, that was painful, you know? And then you fast forward, it's like just recently, I have a, I have a teenage son now and, and he uh, rat, just, just, can completely destroyed his ankle and leg skateboarding mm. you know mm. like like just brutal like he ended up with two metal plates uh, 18 screws oh, permanent like you oh. know really mangled it good that the his doctor was like hey i don't know he said he did skateboarding however he did he did a really good job completely destroying his foot and his leg you know and then like you as a parent you know you walk through that with your child and, and one of the things that i just realized is that um because our our world is comfortable by and large. And I'm not trying to minimize all the pain and suffering, but as I said earlier, we're so used to things being exactly the way we want it. If we don't like it, we can rearrange things. And what I just realized is that w when times are hard, oftentimes we don't know where to go to find how do we grow through this? How do we not just white knuckle it and survive, but how do we really th thrive through it? And I find that in the Bible, there's so much discussion on this that I really wanted to kind of bring it out into the open and say, these are the, some of the concepts that the Bible speaks about and how we can really try and apply it to our lives. What a good message to coming out of everything we've walked through with the pandemic and, you know, suffering and discomfort. I really realized is something we have become very unfamiliar in all the blessings that we have here in America. But you say that discourages um, as discouraging as suffering can be. What if I told you it has a purpose? What what is the purpose? I I, I imagine it's tied to hope. Yeah. So I mean, and and I and I say this realizing, and, and in the book I spend a lot of time like I, I don't want to minimize the pain. I realize when you're talking about suffering and 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 fear and worry, and you're talking about stress, like these are very real things, and they hit people right where they live, and it's not fun when you're in the middle of it. It's not fun, but the Bible tells us unequivocally that God's purpose in all that happens in each one of our lives is to transform us to make us more like Jesus. Right. And so one of the things that you realize is that God has the ability to redeem suffering and all these different things and to change our nature and our character into a more Christ-like way. And so when you realize that in the end of the day, when things are great, God's goal is still to make me more like Jesus. When, mm. I, when I'm victorious, God's goal is that in victory, I can be humble and kind and, and, and open-hearted to people uh, in victory and also in defeat and also in times of suffering. And so what you realize is that the God who created and sustains everything, who sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, his goal is always exactly the same to make, in my case, to make Daniel the most Jesus-like version of myself, to make, mm. you know, Misty or Sally or Gang, to make each one of us the, mo the most Jesus-like version of ourselves. And we have a tendency to divorce that reality when we're going through seasons of suffering or, 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 or challenges or trials. And my goal in the book is to say, hey, listen, let's not divorce these times from God's purpose in our life, which is to make us more like Jesus. You know, we live in a, a pretty stressful world and I will uh, readily admit that I I stay on the struggle bus 24 uh, seven. You know, constant stress, it feels like it's never ending. How uh, in the midst of that stress, 
can we look for that resilience? Can we find that resilience within us? I think the first thing to do, and, and I love your vulnerability, Misty, for saying that, because I think for all of us, if we're honest, like we're all on the struggle bus. What, you know, in the book, I talk about suffering. And if, if we're not in it now, as Kang said, it, it'll happen in the future, whether we like it or not. I talk about it through fear and worry, which is something we all deal with in stress. And so I think the first thing is to acknowledge like, it is a daily battle. Like really biblically winning the battle with these things is actually being in the fight. And one of the things that I found over the last number of years, not only as an author, but as a pastor, uh, in my own life, in my family, in my church family, and people that I know, is that uh, we're so used to stress and fear and worry being the norm that instead of fighting against it, we're just kind of rolling over and accepting it. And so I think we need to be in the battle and we need to realize that it is going to be a continual battle. It's not like, uh, hey, this at, at uh, one o'clock tomorrow, all the stress in your life is going to be over, all the things you could worry about. <laughs> no, it's like Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. You know, so he's saying, listen, like you shouldn't be surprised that stress happens. You shouldn't be surprised that fear and worry happens. You shouldn't be surprised that suffering happens. So the first thing is to acknowledge, hey, this is part of life. The second thing, I think, is to make sure that we realize that in whatever we're going through, that God is writing a story in our lives and we are in the middle chapters. I mean, if you look at any biblical account that people know, there is always that time where th all the chips are down. This is bad, but God does something. And so we have to realize that the, our, our suffering or our stress, we are in the middle chapters. And if you look at the last set of things that we were stressed out about, uh, and for all of us, we have like a whole bunch of those things, there was a, a moment where it was like, it kind of hits its apex point and then things work out and then we move on. And even if we have long extended periods of stress, that is still like, you look back on those, like, yeah, that was a six months season. That was a, a six year season. Mm. That was a two, 20 year season, but it actually is in the rear view mirror now. And so to always remember that, hey, this is the curriculum for me to unlock that resilience. Like what I'm going through right now, this is the classroom that God is inviting me to move beyond just my awareness of how hard it is and move into God, this is hard, but what are you doing? God, I'm believing that you want to make me more like Jesus in the midst of this. So God, mm -hmm. bear the fruit that you want to bear in my life while this is happening. Is there a way to speed that process up? <laughs> <laughs> and here's, Where's here, the fast forward button, right? Well, well here's what I'm getting at. Um, you, know, you talk about the stress, you know, Misty, and, and, I, and I'm, what I'm getting at is there is a mental way to reprogram ourselves because I, I know myself, well, here's where I'm getting at. Um, you know, I've got a daughter diagnosed with multiple disabilities and uh, she is now 19 and she weighs a little over a hundred pounds and she's, uh, she's non-ambulatory. She's in a wheelchair. She's got cerebral palsy and some other issues and it's very physical and uh, mm. it's taken a toll on myself and my wife. And then on top of that, my wife is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so it's just been a, um, you know, uh, there's been a tipping point back and forth. And, you know, it's been one of those things where I'm like, okay, God, I'm coming to the point where I, I really can't do this. And uh, I've, you know, people ask me, how do you do it? And my answer is, I don't know how. I, I without God, I don't know how I could do it. But I'm wondering, you know, with the stress and everything that goes on, is there a way to switch mentally to that resilience to, um, to, to I, I think if we can somehow mentally go, 
okay, how do I mentally go from the muck that I'm in to having more of a kingdom mindset or relying on him? And I think it is mentally, but it's relying on his spiritual power more than your own. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and, and Kank, you're, you're a living testimony of this where you're like, hey, I, I don't know how I'm doing this. I just know that God's working. And so one of the things I do in the book is I, I, I speak about what I call the resilience equation. I'm not a math person, you know, but but it, it did work out that way as I was kind of studying. And I really kind of just stole it right out of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse two, where it talks, talks about that we should look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now seated down at the right hand of the father. And so what I what I found in there is that you know Jesus's cross is the ultimate example of human suffering uh, because it, it really is the apex of where all of human suffering comes to one point uh, on one person Jesus, all the sins of the world, all of this. And so I, I the equation is that we need hope plus grit which equals unstoppable resilience. So that, that mental step is to remember that we believe in the God of all hope, that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Hope isn't just a concept that we like. We don't hope in hope, but we hope in the person who died on a cross and then rose again. And not only that, but also ascended into heaven and is glorified at God's right hand. And so, so we have to hold on in our minds and in our hearts. We need a mindset that is drenched with hope. And, and I think for you, Kank, I imagine, you know, I, I'm a close friend of mine who I dedicated the book to, uh, the founding pastor of Crossroads, where I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors, uh, Bill Ritchie. He's one of the most hope-filled people I've ever met. His wife got early COVID uh, in January of 2020. She's been a long COVID case. It's been very, very challenging. But every time I talk to him, he's like, man, the, the only thing we can do is hope in Jesus. So I'm just hoping in Jesus on this, this journey. So... I always tell people that if you make it to the end of, a, of an experience, especially long suffering, but you don't have hope, you get to the end and you see how the story ends, but you end up when you're there, you're hard-hearted, you're jaded, you're cynical, which is the default that what happens, which, but that's not the abundant life. That's not being more than a conqueror. So like in your situation, all of our situations, how can I hold on to that? My hope is in Jesus. That, that in my father's mansion, there are many, you know, my father's house, there are many rooms. And he, he went to prepare a place for us. That, that what's happening here has a greater purpose than what I'm just experiencing. So we have to, we need that hope-filled mindset. But then we need to marry that hope-filled mindset to what I call grit, which is a popular word. I mean, obviously, John Wayne had grit. Angela Duckworth wrote a great book called grit. grit. <laughs> true grit. True grit, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know that John Wayne had the had the biblical resilience because he did have that more stoic, you know, kind of jaded, you know, kind of, you know, morose version of this. So, like, I, I, I define the word grit from from a biblical principle as doing continuing to do the right things the right way for the right reasons, no matter what the outcome is, because really what we realize is that when things are hard, we all want to kind of cut corners. We don't really want to be those people of character. Like, man, this isn't, I mean, I'm just too tired. So I'm just going to like not deal with that. And what happens is we have a tendency, if we remember that God's goal is to make us like Jesus, then being committed to, I'm going to do the right things the right way for the right reasons, even if they don't work out the way that I want them to. Because we realize that our testimony of who Jesus is, is actually played out in the way that we live our life. And so if we marry this hope-drenched 
way of thinking. Not that it's always going to work out the way I want it to, but God holds the future and he is worthy to be hoped in because he's the God of hope. And then we keep on keeping on, just like you're doing, Kank, where you're just like, listen, I love my daughter and I love my wife. And high up, low down, no matter how hard it is, I love my wife and I love my daughter and I'm going to show up and try and serve them and I'm going to try and help them. And and I, I, I would imagine, I would love to, to hear your insights on this. As you've been walking this journey now for, for years, like what has God transformed you into? How, how are you finding yourself being more patient, more loving, more kind, more... As I, I imagine you're seeing all of that in your life. You know, that's a really good point. And I love that drenching something in hope. And you're right. You do have to guard against being jaded because there have been times of that. Because like someone would share an issue that they're having with their kid. And I'm like, come on, does your kid walk? Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 have to, I have to watch that. Because you could easily slide into that. Oh, get a real problem. Come on now. You know, come on. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. your issue? Exactly. Well, that's the wrong attitude. Totally. I mean, that's you, you can't go there. You need to really side up against, uh, you know, everyone's got an issue. It doesn't have to be the same issue that you have. Um, but yeah, I love that. Let's, let's drench it in hope. That sounds awesome. That sounds cool. Mm-hmm. You know, you that. have to almost answer from, get an answer from the people who work closely with kink and every day (laughs) in a stressful situation, live radio, we never know what we're going to face today was a great example. And what I see is a compassion in him and his wife, Becky, uh, for, for everyone. Well, that's Um, true. Yeah. And in your leadership, he now leads a whole team of people, almost 20 people, um, all creatives, by the way. And and that's what I see is this. So he sees what the she's hope saying is people. I'm a cat herder too. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I can try to say the kind things, but he is going to interrupt me every time. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that really comes to the point of what you're saying, Daniel. And we who are working with him, we get to see that coming out in him <clears throat> through the difficult times. And so I just use this opportunity to say well done kink and becky and raising both of your kids and what a privilege it is for misty and me and alex to just share the mornings and uh share the joy that comes through the circumstances because i think what what you're saying is that there's a purpose in in the suffering and so it comes down to perspective um it comes down to where are your eyes focused? Our lives here in America are just really, honestly, even in the worst situations, we're not starving. We're, we're not suffering. I think about Paul, who was Saul, and we know that whole story, sitting in a cave of a jail and yet writing that the suffering is but for a moment. And so uh, I really appreciate that you remind us that suffering has a purpose. What each person's going through is real and it's their life. But I think one of the things that Kink said before I thought was so powerful, where it's like when someone's like they're having an issue with their kid and he can be a little bit more cold, but it is also an important perspective. 
when you're like, listen, like, and that's what we're talking about. It's like, can we change the lens? Like, I, like I always think I went to the eye doctor the other day. I'm, so I'm 46 years old right now. And um, my eye doctor was so funny because he's like, you know, Daniel, you know, you're middle aged. So at some point you're going to need reading glasses. And, you know, he's like, you're, you're okay for now. But like, but we do have some, you know, I, have some, I wear contacts, but it's like, he's like, at some point you're going to need readers. And, and he made some jokes about it. And sure enough, just like two weeks ago, I went, I, I grabbed my Bible in the morning as I always do to sit down, have my morning uh, devotional time. And I looked at my Bible with my glasses on and it was blurry. And I was like, oh, stop. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and like, and, and like I took my glasses off and I, and, and I cleaned it. I cleaned up the lens. I put them back on totally blurry. I took my glasses off and I read my Bible and it was clear as day. And I was like, oh man, like the doctor, all of a sudden in one day, it's like my, my, my reading, I need special glasses or I need to take my glasses off to be able to read. But it, it got me thinking about this, the lenses through which we see the world, right? And, and, and really what goes on is that what God is wanting to do for us through our faith in Jesus and by the power of the spirit is to give us corrective lenses so that we can see the world the way he sees it with, with what he's doing. And so things like trying to fight for hope. And I realized that like, you know, and or drenching our lives in hope, we have to fight for that when things are challenging. But when we do put on the lens of the Holy Spirit, as, a, as we could say, and look at the world, you begin to realize that God is doing things He's working things out. And that's why like Hebrews 12 too, as I said, for the joy that was set before Jesus, obviously Jesus's joy is God's glory in the redemption of people, people like me and like you guys and like people who are listening right now. And because of that joy, he was able to endure the cross and he's able to despise the shame because he knew that even though this was horrible and in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating drops of blood, like Lord, if there's any other way for you to be glorified in the redemption of people, like we do that, but if not, if it's, if it's not possible, your will be done, not mine. He was able to keep that in his heart so that he can endure the cross, that he can despise the shame. And he realizes that once he makes it through that, at the other end of crucifixion is resurrection and ultimately glorification. And the same is for us when we're suffering to be able to say, God, I know that this is a trial. I know that this is, uh, I'm dying to myself. This is not what I wanted, but God, I'm gonna keep my eyes on you and I'm gonna hope because I know you're gonna bear fruit through this. And even if it's just the fruit of me being a kinder person, a more patient person, a more understanding person, then Lord, that is, if, th if that glorifies you, then that should be good enough for me. And so I don't want this, take this away, but while this is here, God, bear all the fruit that you wanna bear in my life. Change me so that I can be a change agent in the world because of what I've experienced. You know, that's a good point. And you kind of made that point too, Sally, and that is that um, those that have been through things can now help others with the same issue. If you've been divorced, you can help someone with their divorce recovery. If you've you know, Misty deals with anxiety and depression. You can help someone else with the same issue. You know, I can know what another parent with a, you know, child diagnosed with special needs is going through and I can help them with that. That's true. I, and I, I love that part of all this. Um, mm -hmm. I hate that they're going through those things. Uh, that's horrible, but you can help them. And that's, that's fantastic that, that recovery centers are full of people that went through addiction. It's pretty awesome, mm -hmm. you know? That's really neat. Like, if you go to a, a homeless shelter, nine times out of ten, there's someone that was homeless that's there helping other people. That's pretty cool, in a way. It's pretty awesome. So I got to know, Daniel, uh, what's your favorite Bible character that's been through some stuff that's learned to be resilient? 
Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the or, cookies are that bottom failed shelf. miserably <laughs> through it all. <laughs> Here's what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, Jesus is my favorite. There you, know, you go. Um, <laughs> but like, but but I I learned the most from Peter. You know, because mm. in some ways, like I feel like Jesus chose Peter as one of his apostles just to encourage someone like me. Cause like, I like to joke that like Peter is like, he's got foot and mouth disease. Totally. Like, he's always th- he's, like, Peter's <laughs> always the first one out the door <laughs> saying something. Normally it's wrong. I mean, but he's also the one who's like, so he's just so, you know, uh, gregarious. Like, you know, Jesus is walking on the water. Peter's like, hey Lord, if it's you, let me walk on the water. And you know, <laughs> just kinda, and, and, he, and he starts walking on the water. And I, I just imagine like people give Peter a hard time because he sunk and he was like, Lord, I'm sinking. And Jesus saved him, but I'm like, Peter's actually the only apostle who walked on water. And so I, I learn a lot from Peter because very much like I'm a shoot, ready, aim kind of a person. Like I'm like, oh, I'm like, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna go skydiving. And then I jump and I'm like, wait, do we have the parachute? Like I, yeah. that's kind of my personality. And so Peter is always failing miserably, whether it's like he, he's the first apostle to say that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the next second sentence, he's like, no, you're not gonna be crucified. And Jesus is like, yeah, get behind me, Satan, you know? And so obviously Peter denied Jesus three times when he was positive that if everyone forsook Jesus, he was going to be there. He's going to fight for Jesus. And then three people asked him, Hey, you know, this guy and Jesus like, and Peter's like, yeah, I don't know that guy. And, and so all, all, you know, for, so for me, Peter has failed miserably, but God has done a great work in his life. Yeah. That's, and you know what? I love this. Peter was forgiven for all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's encouraging to us, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, for those of us that stick our foot in our mouth multiple uh, <laughs> occasionally <laughs> occasionally <laughs> it happens <laughs> oh my goodness exactly and we're well, your feet I realize I'm in good company you guys are all on radio so it's like you know you, oh, yeah. you all talk for a living it's like <laughs> That's you, know, right. so you know how this goes sometimes yeah. like, I can't believe I said that yeah and thousands of people just heard it <laughs> <laughs> right Right. Yep. Oops. You know, I think it's interesting how our life experiences really do um, attach to our focus, especially I grew up sick with a, a problem that wasn't corrected until I was 15. And I think that this this growing up in pain for a child, you don't know that not everybody's doing that. It's just what you've already known. And so I see when I encounter things as an adult, my immediate perspective is, okay, now what, you know, how are you going to take this on? And I think it's a really unique perspective. And I think that's how I relate to your comments about, you know, suffering has a purpose. And for me, it's, it's keeping my focus on the only place where things are going to be perfect is in eternity with him. And it's, it changes my whole perspective. Like right now my hand's all bandaged and my shoulder blade is broken from a gigantic fall. We took my husband and me on a trail and I'm like, okay, how are we going to get this done? You know, how are we going to get dressed? How are we going to continue on? And um, I'm grateful for that experience. I find it as an adult um, being able to handle the difficulties, if you will, 
um, with a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I talk about in the book is that for all of us, we, we, we all write a story about our experiences, you know, and, and depending on our personality and the things, the things that we've experienced, we're all like, this is the narrative of what this thing is. And one of the things that I found, you know, as a follower of Jesus is that really there are some parts of our story, we're actually writing a, a, a story that's a broken story, you know? So like, so like, you know, like in your, in your example, Sally, of, of your life, there, I'm sure that you've battled sometimes because you had illness as a child. And my bride, Lynn has had that, has that as well, that sometimes it's always like, you're always waiting for the next shoe to drop. So you have a tendency to always be like, man, and, and you realize that, Hey, Jesus might be like, Hey, I want you to like, I want you to be realistic. But, I, but actually, I don't want you to always be looking for the next worst thing to happen, you know? And so there's always parts of our story oh, for all of us, whether whether we've had like, you know, for ev- everything growing up was wonderful. You had a wonderful family, you know, you, the homecoming king, you, you know, the captain of the football team, whatever the, whatever the story is. For that person, it's like, well, actually, there's parts of the story that actually, you know, you need to, to, to let go so that you can retain the good parts and let Jesus kind of give us a, a, a biblical story. And I was thinking about this from the end of Matthew chapter six, where, you know, it talked about don't worrying. And then Jesus says, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I always like that idea that when you're seeking God's kingdom, it really boils down to three things. First, you need to enter God's kingdom. And second, you need to surrender to God's kingdom. And then third, you need to participate in God's kingdom. You know, and I think that with the stories and how we look at the world, the, our worldviews, the lens through which we see the world, we God is always trying to say, hey, listen, if you sur- if you enter and surrender and then you participate in my kingdom, actually the way it all looks is a little different than you think that it does. And so it, it's all about, again, it's like that God wants to make us like Jesus. So he's, he's like, hey, listen, let me hem in the story that you're writing. Let me show you how some of that stuff is right <laughs> on. It makes you compatible. And some of that stuff, uh-huh. actually, that's more based on your experience. And I want, I want to reframe your experience. So like I look at the death of my mother, which was so challenging. And now I can see how completely heartbreaking it was and is, you know, and, and how much I miss her and how much I would have loved to have met my bride and, my, and all of her grandkids. And, and I would love for her to have been there to dance with me on my wedding day. There's all these things that I'm like, man, there's a huge loss here and there's grief here. But at the same time, I can see these are things that God did in my life, in my family's life. Obviously, her time here was done because, you know, it says in the scriptures, God teach us to number our days that it might incline our hearts to wisdom. And so for whatever reason, my mom's journey on this side of eternity was only 49 years. And, and so I, can, I feel like I can see it now and I can see the beauty and the pain in it, but, but none of it I see as it's just victim. It, or, or it's just only victorious. It's like, it's this beautiful mess of life in Christ the real story. And I feel like I'm constantly learning how to do that in all these different areas of my life. So what do you do when you're in a downward spiral and spiral and, you know, life is getting really messy Hmm. to pull yourself out? What do you focus on personally? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So first, uh, you have to be able to be honest enough and self-reflective enough to say, I am in a downward spiral. And listen, it happens to all of us. Yeah. Like the what if could happen thinking or, or a series of things go on and then before you know it. So first you have to acknowledge like that's where I am. Second, I think, you know, and I write about this a lot in the book, the need for 
good friends, biblical community. For me, like the local church, I'm a local church guy. Um, there's just something about being in a group of people, not everyone who I handpicked because they're my besties, but people who are in all different ages and stages of life, have all different experiences. We, we need people to help hold our arms up in, in those hard times. And so uh, both the local church and then also having really close friends, people who speak into our lives. I mean, obviously for me, uh, my bride Lynn is my best friend and she can just look at me when I come home from a busy day and she just knows that I'm like, oh, okay, are you okay? <laughs> like, you wanna talk about it? Um, because she could just see it in my eyes or the way I carry myself. We need people to be able to be there with us. And I think part of the struggle of the last number of years with all that's gone on with the pandemic is that you know isolation has is on the rise. And now that we're kind of not, and I know it's not over as we record this. I mean, it is what it is and people see it how they see it. But what happened is, is for two years, a lot of people, especially I'm in the Northwest where we had the, we were in the most restrictive areas with, you know, uh, all the mandates and everything. Now that we're out of that time, people ha have been habituated to isolation. And, and, and this is wreaking havoc on our culture, on individual people, because people now have lost the art of being in community. Of, of being relational. And so, and, and the negative impacts of isolation for people is so extraordinary right now. So it, it's about taking the step of faith and, and almost, and I know it's hard when we're in the spiral to force ourselves into, hey, I'm really struggling right now. And then you have on top of it, if you tell people that you're struggling because everyone is struggling, we, we're, we're having people who are struggling with the bandwidth to be there for one another because they're like, oh man, like, I, I can barely hang, handle what's going on with me. How am I going to be able to handle your thing? So we, that really that push to being neighbors again, which the it's all through the Bible. Neighborliness is God's plan for us, but we need to kind of recover some of that if we're really going to be able to be there and and for all of us to blossom. Yeah. Man, we need each other. Right. Hello. Absolutely. Wow. Come on. We do. We're we... so not practiced at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need a good potluck. <laughs> there you go. I like that. We, uh, you know, we, we design these plans for our lives. And I think God probably chuckles when we do that. Mm. Uh, for me, I was going to be a famous Christian singer. If you'd asked me that even all the way through high school, that was my plan. <laughs> and um, that did not happen. That's that's not what God had planned for me. And you kind of have a similar story. Like You you planned to be a full-time musician and God was like, hold up. I have something else for you. Talk about uh, that a little bit. Oh, yeah. So are you going to sing for us, Misty? I am not. <laughs> oh. I, only, I only sing in the shower now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're all famous musicians, uh, singers in the shower. Exactly. Aren't we, you know? yeah. Sounds so much better. <laughs> yeah. So my, my life arc, you know, uh, was to be a professional musician. So I'm a bass player. So the electric and the upright bass. So cool. I remember there's an old joke about bass players that all anyone who wants to be a professional bass player can be because nobody wants to be the bass player. So I remember when I was a kid, I heard a story that they said, you know, one day a kid got a bass and the first day he's taking his bass and his parents were like, hey, where are you going with that bass? He's like, I'm going for a lesson. And, and like, okay, great, have a great lesson. And the next day he's got his bass and he's leaving the house and the parents are like, hey, are you going to another lesson? And he's like, no, I got a gig, you know? And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so playing bass you know, was my life and I got saved at the very end of college. So about a year after my mom passed away, I came to know Jesus, but my arc was always to play music. And so uh, my, I thought I was gonna be a professional uh, bass player and I was for years. Uh, and what happened was is a couple years later, and, and I mean, the year before I left playing music as a career to go into uh, the ministry, uh, I had played almost 400 shows 
shows in a calendar year. So I was doing like triple headers on Sunday. Wow. I was just playing all the time. <laughs> I was loving it. I was like, I was having a great time. But really what happened was, is that, you know, like you're saying, like God had a different plan. And so as my music career was taking off, uh, God was really doing a work in my life. And I really started to just sense, and this was just for my, for my calling, was that, you know, uh, I was called to be a pastor. And uh, and I never would have guessed it. And, and, and if there was like a superlatives in high school for the most likely never to be a Christian, let alone be a Christian pastor, I would have definitely be in the running for that in high school. I was just not a kid anywhere. No, no one would have thought of that. Uh, but God had a plan in that. And I'm so grateful for God's purposes, for his plans. And what's cool is like, like, like you missed it, you're still singing in the shower. I still play the bass every day. Oh, you know, fun. I, I, music is a gift. Uh, but do you play it worship. in the shower? <laughs> <laughs> Only the oh. air bass, you know? I'm not, I'm not bringing the upright into the shower. It would be too, too crowded in there. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> no, that's funny. Wow. Uh, I got to know, um, you know, you, <laughs> there's so many things to be afraid of today, especially, mm-hmm. we know we got this war going on. We got the economy. Um, we got, uh, I mean, there's just so many things. Fly- We're in an unprecedented time. We just came through a pandemic. Don't, by the way, don't look at your 401k. No. Um, <laughs> for those of us that are a little freaking out and afraid, um, h- how do you, how do you get free from that fear? right now. Yeah. So the first thing I need to tell people about fear is that all fear is not bad. Mm. You know, if you think about it, so like obviously, and, and I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. That's a different discussion. It doesn't mean right. to be, it, it means to revere God and to, you know, he, he's the almighty and we are not, he's the creator. We're not, you know, we're, we're the created. And so there's the fear of the Lord. I like to put that on the side, but then, you know, fear is a good thing. You know, because it, it's it's our bodies, it's our awareness of uncertainty, which could keep us alive. Now, like, you know, hundreds of years ago, if you're in the jungle and you hear the the, the trees rustling, fear would be a good thing because it could be a lion. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and so like, so like, that's a good thing. Like, and, and, and so it helpful. keeps us alive, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, and if you're dry, if you're driving and all of a sudden, like you're coming up to an intersection and you, and, and you have the green light and the, and the people going the opposite direction have the red light, and, but you see someone, they're not breaking you being fearful and breaking. That's a good thing. Like that's one of the God's ways to keep us alive. And, and so we're grateful for that. But really what we're talking about is when we look into the future and with all the uncertainty and all we do is feel dread, all we do is feel like this is only going to go bad. And, and, and that's the type of fear that the Bible says, and I've never, I've never run them all down, but I've always heard it said that it says, do not fear or one of its derivatives 365 times in the Bible, mm, you know? And yeah. so, so it's that fear that we're trying to battle against. And so one of the things that I always try and tell people is that what the Bible teaches is that God does not say that the future is certain. He does not say like, it's all going to work out the way that we want it to. It does not say that your preferred outcome is actually God's plan, right? What God does say is that no matter what the outcome is, I promise that I'll be with you. You know, like you think of Isaiah chapter 41, where he's saying, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so really the great antidote for fear with uncertainty as it relates to the future is the reality of the ever presence of God and the fact that because he is with us, 
Think of beautiful Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Amen. And so like, yeah. so like the way to battle fear is to God, you know, I'm afraid. God, you know that I'm freaked out. God, you know that I'm fretting and I'm worried, all these things. But God, I, there's, an, there's another truth and that's that you're real and that you're with me. And so Lord, will you, in this season of fear, will you open up my heart to be more aware of your presence? Because my future is uncertain, but you are certain and you hold my future in your hands. So I just want to know that you're with me now and I can trust that you'll be with me then. And no matter how it works out, God, because you're with me, even though I may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to fear because you're with me. And, and, and it sounds so simple, it sounds so trite, but it's so deeply biblical. And it's something that like every day I'm like, Lord, I know you're with me right now. I know you know how this is gonna work out. You know I'm flipped out, Lord. You know I'm a control freak. You know I'm all these things, God. But I know that you have this because you've saved me. I've seen you do so much in my life. My, my life is different because of who you are. And Lord, so help me to trust you with what hasn't happened yet because you're trustworthy. That is so good. But I have to go back to, why are you walking through there? Why'd you take that hike? The valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a scary place. That's, wow. That's a, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, uh, like you shouldn't be there right now. Yeah, right? Exactly. Like, not Man, uh, we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death on this tour, and over here on the right, we have... Um, <laughs> Although, you know, what struck me as you were talking about all of this, in a way, why are we surprised? God said it would happen. It's almost like, in a way, we should be, we should know that God's with us. We should remind ourselves that he is with us. That's what you're telling me, in a way. Uh, even, even that psalm, and Psalm 23, remind yourself, God is with you. He's always with you. He hasn't left you. And that times are always uncertain. It's just seems like right now it's more crazy than ever, but they've always been crazy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Your words and, and what you just shared just moved me so deeply because I just found myself in that situation. And, yeah, uh, yeah you're laying, right, Sally. You were. It, you I were in the valley of the shadow of death. on the side yeah. of a canyon, broken. And um, my husband had to leave me twice in this desolate place as the sun was setting my shoulder broken, my hand all cut up. And, and the thing that sustained me is what you're saying is just abiding in Christ. Everybody's asked me how you must have been flipped out. And I say, I don't know how to tell you. I was at complete peace because I was laying there thanking God for every single thing I could think of, including the fact that there were not ants underneath me biting my back. <laughs> Maybe the Sally should unpack and, the story real quick for the people that are listening to this podcast that know it in the background of what happened. My husband and I were on a trail in our ATV and the trail gave way and we rolled down into a canyon. <clears throat> when I woke up, I found myself curled up around a bush and on that bush was my blood that had come down. Sorry to be so, but I cut my, my arm horribly. And I knew something was terribly wrong with my shoulder. I was in extreme pain. And um, you broke a bone back there. 
I broke my shoulder blade. Yeah. I crushed it, as they said. It's just crushed. And um, he had to leave me there to go get help. We were not in cell signal. And um, twice. And um, the second time, I knew he had to go again. And I said, you just, you've got to get me out of this. I can't continue to lay here on this incline, knowing I'm inches away from going all the way to the bottom. And uh, so he drug me up to the top. And I watched the sun as it was about to set over the side of the canyon. And I thought, thank you, Lord, you're with me. I am not by myself. I am not going to panic. I, I, I am not alone. Um, thank you. She was out there done. for six for hours children. by herself. Six Maybe. hours. They yeah. finally, um, a medic came in and over a helicopter and roped in, as they said, dropped down. And then another group of six guys packed me out and I didn't, I was airlifted to the hospital and, um, I just want to say thank you, Daniel, for what you're sharing. The truth of God's word is this life is not perfect. We don't know what we're going to face moments from now, yep. but we are never alone. Nope. Thank you for reminding us that Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley mm -hmm. of the shadow of death, you are with me. And I hope that blesses somebody else who's just going through it right now. Amen. Never saw it coming. You don't feel prepared. You don't have to be. I was definitely not prepared. Um, but God was with me. I knew he was, no matter what the outcome. So thank you, Lord. I'm not laying on an ant pile. <laughs> and I could even have a laugh, you know, as I laid there waiting for somebody to come help. I just, I want to say thank you for this book. I've made it most of the way through. Listen to your podcast. And I'm just grateful that God led you to write this. It's a message we all need to hear. We are very blessed. And um, God has a way of using our story to be a blessing to others. And Mike and Becky are an example of that. We all have the opportunity to um, choose our perspective of how we're going to view our current circumstances. Thank you for reminding us that everything is really light and momentary because we're we're living this life for eternity with him where everything will be perfect and healed and we won't be alone on a hillside ever again so um really really just want to affirm you for what you've put together in this book and um encourage everybody to go find it it's available anywhere books are found it's brand new on the market and uh it's a good read uh i have an idea daniel can you just pray for those that are listening to this, um, that are going through it right now? Yeah, I, w I would love to. Yeah. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this time. And Lord, just for, for being here with Kank and Sally and Misty and, and their stories. And Lord, everyone who's listening right now. And Lord, we're aware that when life is hard, we can ma often make the mistake that think that God is hard too. Lord, we know that life is messy, but you're real and you're with us. You're an ever-present help in time of need. You're closer than a brother. You are the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai. And you are Emmanuel, a God who is not only for us, but a God who is with us. And Lord, for each person who is hearing this right now, I just ask that your spirit 
would comfort, would bring peace, and would open up our awareness to the reality of the finished work of Jesus and your continual presence. Lord, where there's fear, I just ask that your presence would drive it out. Lord, where there is suffering, God, we ask for the alleviation of that suffering immediately, but also for you to bear the fruit that you want to bear through that suffering. And God, and where there is stress, I ask that you would meet that stress with your provision and also with your power that uh, your peace might reign where stress once was. Lord, you see us, you know us, you know we're but dust. But Lord, we're glorious dust because we've been redeemed by Jesus. And so Jesus, be glorified in our life and help us to hope in you. And Lord, help us to keep on doing the right things the right way for the right reasons, trusting that the outcome will be in your hands. So God, we love you. And we know it's because you first loved us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And we all agreed and said together, amen. 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 Uh, uh. Daniel, you just, you just said butt dust. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Every day. Hey, if people want to catch your podcast, how do they get that? Oh, so if you put uh, my name into, you know, whatever podcast is, my, it's called the, the You're Going to Make It with Daniel Fusco podcast. And it's the same. You put my name in any of the social light. We have uh, all content all over the place on the interwebs and the radios and all the stuff. Awesome. And the book is You're Going to Make It, Unlocking Resilience When Life is a Mess. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you so much. You guys are amazing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.